This is Unplugged, 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 Unplugged. Welcome to this episode of Unplugged. Now, we have been talking about the subject of suffering. And suffering, for context, suffering according to God's will. It is not the most fun subject to talk about. We don't hear much teaching or preaching in the churches or people talking about the subject of suffering. Because right now we are living in the age and the movement of the God of breakthroughs. And most of the teaching today and most of the preaching is geared towards teaching about a God who will break you through, you know, every time, anytime you're in trouble, anytime something comes up. But in the previous episodes, I presented the case, whatever you want to call it, argument, or I try to open our eyes to the fact that there is a suffering according to God's will. There's suffering in the Bible. The Christian walk does not exempt you from suffering. In fact, Jesus said, the servant is not above his master. This was in John chapter 13, I believe. The servant, verily, I tell you, verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Jesus was talking about suffering and he was trying to reassure his disciples that just as they have, <clears throat> excuse me, just as they have, just as I have suffered and been persecuted, likewise, these things are going to happen to you. He went on to talk, we, we, we will get to that, but he was talking about, you know, if they persecuted you, if they hated you, um, the same things, if they persecuted me and hated me, the same things are going to happen to you. So the Christian walk has not been, for the most part, the Christian walk we've been taught recently that suffering is not part of the game, which is not accurate. In fact, a context scripture, I'm just going to use all these context scriptures that we use to lay the foundation for the series. And the first one was in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. To talk about, this is how we ushered in the subject of suffering. It talks about suffering for God's glory. And it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. What he's doing here, he's, he's, he's letting you know that if you're going through a fiery trial, most times as Christians, we consider it as a strange thing. You know, we, we, we're almost thinking, you know, this, this, this is on the wrong person. You know, me? Like, I can't go through this or I shouldn't go through this. But 
that's why we provided a context that there is a suffering according to God's will and which Peter, the apostle, is about to uh, give us more context on. But he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. It says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That you partake of Christ's sufferings. Now, this episode, hopefully, will get to our destination, intended destination. We're always interrupted in a good way. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I we, we looked at different kinds of suffering. Now, I wanted to round up this series with Christ's sufferings, kind of like the three different categories that we can see that Christ, under which Christ suffered. And so that's where that should that that would be as a christian that should be the docking point of your suffering meaning like you're going to find yourself suffering a lot under these three different categories resistance persecution and submission but we'll get to that but back to this uh, foundation scripture first peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19 i'm just going to cruise through all the context scriptures because i'm doing like a recap just in case you haven't listened to the previous episodes, which I recommend you to listen to because we've covered so much ground. So it says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That's very interesting. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. It's almost like, the more of Christ's sufferings that you partake in, the more of his glorification you will partake in. In fact, in Revelations chapter 3, verses, I believe, 14, in Revelation chapter 3, it says, hmm, it says, no, Revelation chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. It says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and I'm set down with my father in his throne. So it's talking about, there's a comparison there. It says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. So, we have a, 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 a comparison, a, a contrast there of Christ's sufferings, even as I also overcame. So it says that his glory, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Then he goes to say, verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again, there is... Another scripture, someone on the mount, the famous someone of Jesus on the mount of olives. In the someone on the mount, one of the beatitudes, as they're called, Jesus said, let's quickly look at it here. Famous someone on the mount, Jesus said, says, 
Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we see a reward there, almost like a, a, a blessing. It says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anyways, we keep moving. That is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Okay. So still on our foundation scripture for the context of suffering according to God's will. Then he goes on to say, verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now this is very interesting. It says, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's going to say, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. Now, it's very interesting because one of the context scriptures that I wanted, that, that, that we were, that we were going to get to, that we are going to get to, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. We see Paul here who started out, uh, we're talking, one of the questions we address is, why should I embrace the cap of suffering? Instead of considering it a strange thing, as we see Peter talking about here. Why should I embrace the cup of suffering? Because here he just mentioned that if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, when Paul was trying to resist the cup of suffering, we talked about this in, the, in, the, in the pre, one of the previous episodes. We, we really went in on this. We said that when you embrace your cup of suffering, something happens. There's a, there's a strength that you enter into. You enter into the, the strength of Christ because the power of Christ is released at that moment of your weakness. Suffering is, in essence, meant to bring us to a point where we realize that we can't do this. That there are certain things in life we just can't do on our own. We need the mighty hand of God. Pride is dealt with in our sufferings. Our inability, our inefficiency, our insufficiency as human beings is brought to the surface when we go through suffering. I mentioned about a couple that they, you could find three couples that are facing the same kind of suffering called barrenness and i said one couple is is facing barrenness this obstacle of barrenness because they're dealing with a generational curse now they don't have to put up with that kind of suffering they have to resist it and fight it and rebuke it because satan has been stealing uh that has been a curse from satan that they're fighting against and it says barrenness is not god's will because it says God seeks to have a godly seed. That's somewhere in Malachi chapter 2, I believe. Malachi chapter 2 and Malachi chapter 3. No, it's Malachi chapter 2. It talks about how God seeks a godly seed. Uh, Malachi chapter 2 verses... Um, 16, I believe. Come on, where are you? Malachi chapter 2, verses 15. And did not he make one, yet had he yet had he the residue of the spirit, and, and wherefore one 
It says in well, I'm I'm just picking up from the middle of the verse. It says that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So you see that God desires, first of all, it says, talks about the wife of your youth. And also the point of, of that union is God seeks a godly seed. So that shows us that barrenness is not the will of God. So this couple that is facing this mountain of barrenness has to resist it with everything they got. Now, there's another couple that's facing the same suffering or pain or, or barrenness. Their ordeal is different because for them, what has happened is that perhaps um, like Elizabeth, perhaps they're caught up in a prophetic agenda, right? What do I mean? Elizabeth. Zacharias, the, 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 the priest, Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, it says Elizabeth was not able to conceive until she was 65. Now, that means for the first, you know, let's say back in those days, they used to have kids when they're relatively young. So for about, let's say, maybe 40 years, Elizabeth had to deal with the suffering of barrenness. Now, unbeknownst to them, they did not know that God was actually seeking to use their son, that godly seed, who? John the Baptist. So we see a couple who can be caught up in a prophetic agenda where God, for some specific reason, has decided to use their child for a specific purpose. And that child can only be born at a certain time. So that couple is going through the suffering of barrenness. Now, they can't resist it. They might try and they might be frustrated because it's not they're not breaking through, but it's because there's a divine, there's another reason as to why they're going through this. But at the appointed time, we see something beautiful happen because as with all uh, in, in, in Isaiah 55, we see talk about the suffering of barrenness. And it says, after you've gone this kind of barrenness, it says there's a restoration. It says, God will restore. It says uh, in Isaiah 54, in verse 6, it talks about, For the Lord has called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth when you are refused, says the Lord. For a small moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. In a little while, in a little wrath I hid my face from you. For a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, says the Lord thy Redeemer. Then it goes on to say, um, at the beginning of this chapter, he was singing, he was saying, Sing, O barren, thou that did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that did not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the Lord. He comes down here out of verse 11 and says, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and thy foundations with sapphires. So, and it says, And I will make thy windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders pleasant stones, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. So, he goes into talk about how... Um, as you go through this, this couple, that there is hope, restoration. 
Now, there's another couple that is going through suffering that for them, unbeknownst to them, is kind of like God is trying to bring them to the end of themselves. God is going to let them go through suffering that they will realize that perhaps this is a couple that has never dealt with financial affliction. Or perhaps they haven't realized that their prosperity, let's say financial success or other areas of their lives is because of the grace and mercy of God. So now God has is going to take advantage of this, this obstacle of suffering to call to their attention that, hello, I am the provider here. It's not because of your great smarts that you have amassed a fortune. You know, some people think money can cure every problem. So this couple realizes they can pay all kinds of money, but they can't have a child. So they come to the end of themselves and say, okay, you know what, God, we get it. We, have, we can't overcome this one. We need your help. So that these contexts of suffering. So Paul, in resisting the cup of suffering, we see the same thing that happened to Paul happened to Jesus. Because the, the scripture is saying here, in 1 Peter, is talking about suffering. It says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, it says, blessed are you. It says, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Meaning, also that brings to my attention, it talks about in 1 Corinthians, this is very interesting. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about, in, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about um, how not many are mighty, not many mighty, not many, not many strong are chosen. Let, let, let's, let's quickly go there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see verse 25 to 31, I'll, I'll quickly read. It says, it says, it says, um, it says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Meaning the, 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 the only chance, it almost feels like the only time the power of God can really be manifested is in our weakness. Because in an, in very interesting, one of our other context scriptures talks about First Samuel chapter 2, verse 7 to 9 says, The Lord maketh poor, the Lord maketh rich, he bringeth low and lifteth up. But verse 8 says, He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts up the beggar from the downhill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord, and he has set the world upon them. Then it says, He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength, shall no man prevail. So the power of God can only be fully realized in the weakness of man, in the uncertainty of man, in that lowest state when it feels like you are just about done, like this all hope is lost. That's when it's almost like the God gets the like like the most of his power can be attributed to you. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see this context. It says, for you see your calling brethren. I'm starting from, I'll just start from verse 25. It talks about because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So you see, it's almost like God wants to operate on this side with what he calls the foolishness of God. And also talks about the weakness of God. 
It says, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, it says not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It says, if God is going to choose a pastor and a man to dump a bucket load, a truck load of his strength, his power, his glory, he's not going to go, he's not going to choose people that are wise, people that are mighty, people that are noble. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Why does God use this path? It says to confound the wise. Because the wise, for the most part, like we see in our world today, are filled with pride. Because of the wisdom or the knowledge that has started to circulate around the world right now, the day and age that we live in, people don't think they need God. God has been pushed to the side. People think they can solve every human problem with science. Bologna, we've tried this. It has not really worked out. So all the predictions of what the world would have been in 2022 that we made back in 1990, 2000, even there, 2000, even 2010, we have fallen short of that. Because men in their own um, intellect, the, 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 the wiser man gets, the more man thinks that I do not need God. I, I got it. I can do this on my own. So that's why it says God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. It says, and base things of the world and things which are despised, God has chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why again? It says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Okay? That no flesh should glory in his presence. So we see why in a context scripture for suffering, it talks about if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And we see this happen in two occasions. Again, in what were some of our context scriptures. The first one, we actually saw it with Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus wanted the cup of suffering to pass from him, but he realized this time, this cup couldn't pass from him. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is praying before his crucifixion, and he says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So Jesus understood that he could not resist this cup. Says he wanted, he did not want to drink this cup of suffering. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. After that, he says, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. I have dealt this. I'm speaking from my experience. And um, hopefully very soon, I will share a, a real in-depth testimony about a cap of suffering where I got to the point. Uh, and, and, and I did say that sometimes God is a God who will, I call it vatico deliverance 
he will deliver you vertically, meaning he will pull you out of the situation. That is what we see with 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. It says, he raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts up the beggar from the downhill. But sometimes a different God shows up. Sometimes it's a God who is going to let you walk through the fire. We don't want to talk about this, but guys, it is real. I have I have been drinking a cup of suffering, and I'm telling you, it hasn't been fun. Um, but something changed when I when I was also praying. God, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. And my faith was weaning down. My faith was dropping. It was almost like dropping, like like a lift going downstairs. It was dropping because I was waking up and I was very disappointed. I was, and I started to get to the point where my relationship with the Lord was being affected. It's like, how can a loving God let me go through this? How can he see me deal with this? How can he, you know, watch me go through this, this, you know? And I realized that perhaps this is a cop that is going to stay for some time. So once that understanding came in, my heart posture changed and I said, okay, Lord, if you're not going to take this cup from me and you're going to let me drink it, well, give me strength to drink it. And my faith changed, my relationship changed because I knew that God knew that I was suffering. And I knew that he knew that I knew he was letting it happen. And it was not fun. But my relationship with him changed because I realized also in scripture, uh, man, there's a lot of scripture going through today, but I'm trying to take us home, guys. Um, it is not fun to talk about suffering. So I'm trying to, I'm trying my best to to get out of here as fast as I can. But um, I'm not, you know, if the Holy Spirit, um, if we don't close out in this episode, we will perhaps do it in the next one. So in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about, and he uses some very harsh words. He uses some very harsh words. So Jesus, something changed, which I want to bring to your attention when you, when you stop resisting a cup of suffering that you're supposed to drink is the scripture here in first Peter say that if you be reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And we just looked in first Corinthians chapter one says, why would God drop his power on, on those who were weak, on those who seem foolish, on those who are not wise and those who are not noble says he wants to confound the wisdom of the wise. He wants to confound the wise. He wants to confound the mighty. It says that no flesh should glory in his presence. That no man can stand up and say, I did it my way. All you Frank Sinatras. I did this. I did this. I did this. I did this. All of these self-made men and women that culture talks about. So, but something happens when your mind changes from God, take this cup from me too. Okay. Perhaps you want me to drink it. Something really changes. A new strength comes in. 
because you realize that by faith you start to withdraw from what the scripture is saying here the spirit of glory and of god that rests upon you because excuse me we have to understand that god chastises people that he loves it's just a reality it says in Hebrews chapter 12, he uses some very harsh words here. It says in verse 6, I'll start off here. First of all, it says, verse 5, it says, Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. When we looked up the definition of scourging, talked about intense discipline, painful discipline. We looked that up in, 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 in the Merriam-Webster, 1828. It, it's a painful affliction. And you're like, what? God, why do you do this? And it says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof are all partakers? It says, we're, we're all partakers of the Lord's chastisement, chastising. Then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we give and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of Spirits, and leave. So again, it talks about a benefit there, that once we receive the chastening of the Lord, we leave at the end of it. it. says, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Do you hear that? It says, For they verily for a few days chastened us, after their own pleasure, but he who the Lord for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Again, we can see the end result of, of the chastening of the Lord to be partakers of his holiness. Then it says, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby unto them which are exercised thereby and this is what i said a couple confess the obstacle the suffering of barrenness as a chastening of the lord that a holiness might be squeezed out of this couple because not because god doesn't want them to have a child no this is a couple that has been high-minded they've been walking in pride God hasn't had a chance to deal with them. And now he's something that they so desire, but they now have to come to the end of themselves by realizing money cannot buy them a child. They have not acknowledged that it's the Lord. The scripture says it is the Lord that giveth the power to make wealth, that he may establish his covenant. So this is a couple whose eyes haven't been opened. They're a bit proud. They don't know it, but they are. You know, they look at everybody else who is in financial affliction as, or maybe they just don't have knowledge about business or they don't have investment knowledge. 
So they think they are where they are today because of their smarts. And they haven't given glory to God. So, again, back to this point of something happens when you receive the cup of suffering. When you realize that, uh-uh, this is a cup of suffering that I am meant to drink. As the scripture said, for the spirit of, for the glory of the Lord and his spirit rests upon you. We see this happen with Jesus Christ. It says, after he had prayed the prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but thine, O Lord, be done. It says, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Strengthening him. Wow. It's the same thing we see with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We see Paul going through this. Verse 7, it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. It says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that he might depart from me. So Paul here doesn't want to drink this cup of suffering, saying, Lord, take this for me. I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you hear that? We're back to the point where the scripture is saying, if you be reproached for Christ's sake, blessed are you. It says, for the spirit of the Lord For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So now we're seeing that same scenario happen to Paul. Because Paul is telling the Lord, I want this thing to depart from me. But the Lord said unto him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Will I rather glory? Now, Paul changed his attitude. Once he received this knowledge and understanding, this is a cup he might have to drink for a season. We don't know how long this buffeting of the message of Satan went on. But he says his attitude changed because now he said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see? So Paul's attitude changes. So again, that goes back to the point that I'm trying to bring to your attention that suffering according to God's will and, and, and with the, uh, 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 most specifically we're now talking about embracing the cap of suffering, changing your heart and your mind, something happens, the glory of the Lord rests upon you as Paul is talking about here he got to a point where he says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in, in distresses for Christ's sake says, for when I am weak, then am I strong Okay, 
we are still heading somewhere. Stick with me. So what next then? God being a God who will let you drink this cup. Because in Isaiah, we also talked about how sometimes he's a God who will stop the suffering. Sometimes he's a God who will let you go through the suffering. In Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 3 says, But now thus says the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by thy name. Thou art mine. Okay? Then what happens next? It says, when you pass through the waters. So now this is a God who's letting you pass through the waters. So when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. So here we're seeing, he's telling you, there might be a season of your life where God's going to let you pass through the waters. However, there is a strength. It says, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And then it gets worse. It says, when you walk through the fire. He's not even saying when you run through the fire. It says, when you walk through the fire. Why isn't, do you, do, why do you see this phrase? It says, when you walk through the fire. It's almost like he's not even saying run through the fire. It's almost like he doesn't want you to get out as fast as possible. So when you walk through the fire, why would God want you to walk through the fire? It says, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. He's giving you guarantee that the, 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 the you will not be burned, neither will the flame kindle upon you. But he says, you will walk through the fire. Why would you walk through the fire? Again, back to another context scripture that we used first peter first of all james james says my brethren james chapter 1 verse 2 says my brethren count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience so when you walk through the fire this trying of your faith works patience it says, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So as you're walking through the fire, as the Lord is letting you walk through this fire, he's not even letting you run. It says, walk through the fire. It says, let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect. The word perfect is talking about that you may be mature, ready, and meet for a good work, an entire wanting nothing however we also say that if you lack understanding of the cup of suffering you're going through in verse 5 it says if, if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of god that gives all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given to him okay so as you're walking through the fire this is what i've learned in first peter chapter 1 verses 6 it says wherein ye greatly rejoice Though now for a season, if need be, sometimes he says, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. 
that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. So you see, as you're walking through the fire, what is it really doing? It's testing your faith. That it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Wow. So you see how all these things are connecting back? The central theme here seems to be that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, which is a perfect segue to some of the sufferings we looked at. Now, hold that thought there of that scripture that I just read from 1 Peter chapter 6 down to verse 9, but specifically verse 7 that says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. For some reason, our faith can only be tried with fire. And those impurities, those self-sufficiencies, those self-dependencies, those self-I will, I did it, I am, the I, I, the pride of life, can only be burnt out of our faith through fire, fiery trial. And so we hold the thought because the other scripture that's coming to mind for context is quickly in Psalm 23, we saw again this scenario where it said, all was well. Verse 23, Psalm 23 said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All is still well and dandy. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It's all good and dandy. It's roses, green pastures, and still waters. He restores my soul. Beautiful. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Mm -hmm. Something changes. A trial of our faith comes in because it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So also as we're going through this fiery trial, in a lot of scriptures it says, fear not. One of the most commonly used phrases in the Bible is fear not, do not be afraid. So as you're going through this valley of the shadow of death, and remember it says, though I walk, again, we're back to walking through a fiery trial, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not saying though I run through the valley of the shadow of death. Most times as Christians, we want to run through the valley of the shadow of death. But, here it's saying, walk through the fire, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The whole point is gets he gets to this point, says, I will fear no evil. God doesn't want anything really to shake us up. God doesn't want us to be afraid of Satan. He wants us to resist him, to, to subdue him on our feet. But he says, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Something happens when you go through a fiery trial because in verse 5 it says, Thou preparest a table before me. So you've gone through this thing that was 
crushing you, this thing was, was, was a fear that, that, that you faced. And now you don't fear it anymore. Now it says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Again, there's a reward that now you've gone through it. And as you've come out, there's a table prepared for you. And you can have peace in the midst of a storm because it says thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't here. The enemies are still present. God did not kill these enemies. They're still present, but you have become bold enough. You're strong. You can no longer be swayed by or, or, or afflicted. Like you're no longer moved. You're not afraid. It says, thou anointest my head with oil, my cap runs over. Then it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we've seen a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We've seen a fiery trial, and it says, walk through the fire. And all of it talks about that you might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, this is our ordeal. Okay, as Christians, ultimately, this is where our fiery trials should lead us to, is in that posture that we be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Because remember, it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, as I read, he that overcomes even also as I overcame, meaning Christ has scars of suffering. And if we are truly his followers, if Christ, if Jesus Christ shows up and you have no scars of suffering, it almost means that you are not a partaker of his walk. Because our master suffered. So you coming in following him, you have to show that you also overcame. You need your own scars. Yes, he was crucified. You may not show up with, with with nails in your in your in your palms, but you have scars of suffering because you have overcome also as he overcame. And remember, one of the scriptures I used earlier today in this was that John chapter 13, verse 16. Jesus was telling his disciples, Verily, verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither. He that is sent greater than he that sent him. Okay. So you're getting this whole picture of suffering. Okay. Now, as a perfect segue, because here we just read that in 1 Peter, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold, the precious though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. Okay, check this out. In scripture, I talked about, we, we, we looked at some kinds of suffering that we talked about. Again, quick recap that we're going to quickly do here. We looked at the suffering of Job. Job's suffering at the end of it was met. Job was found to be unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord. Job was someone who suffered, and uh, I'm not going to go through all of this, but I'm just quickly touching on it. Job's suffering is different because Job, the scripture says, Job was perfect, 
was uh it says he he was a man who eschewed evil he was it says job was upright perfect a man who eschewed evil and yet when satan came up to god um satan was basically picking on weak links and satan was causing people who who believed in god to basically curse god so job unfortunately for job he did not know that he had been nominated for a medal of honor because in job chapter one it says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was job the man was perfect upright one that feared god and eschewed evil why would god allow job to go through the sufferings that job went through job lost his properties job lost his family and job was struck with sickness and the whole point was this was what we just read in first peter chapter 1 verse 6 is exactly what we just read here in first peter chapter 1 verse 6 which says no first peter chapter 1 verse 7 though that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of jesus christ when job was tested when he went through all of this satan asked to test job and god allowed it but at the end of it all we see what happened when job after the first set of trials his property losing his property losing his 10 kids though they died um Satan asked to test Job again. And Satan, in chapter 2, it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the, in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil, and still he holds fast his integrity, although you moved me against him to destroy him without codes. So you see, Job's suffering was different. Job suffering, there was no cause for job suffering. So that suffering is different. That's a suffering where you're nominated for a medal of honor. Now, <laughs> um, it got worse for job because after that, Satan said, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, man, all that a man has will he give for his life. But put, put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to thy face and the lord said unto satan behold he is in thine hand but save his life meaning you can touch his skin you can put the sickness on him but you can't take his life again job the scripture says in verse 13 actually it says in verse 10 after all of this happened his wife came to him and said do you still retain thine integrity? Cast God and die. 
But Job said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we? What shall we receive good at the hand of the, at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all of this did not Job sin with his lips. But once again, we see that Job did not know the context of his suffering. He lacked wisdom. He did not know he had been nominated for a medal of honor because he was an upright man, one that eschewed evil, one that feared God. Right? That was his character. He was perfect, upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And for context, never stop there for when you talk about the sufferings of Job. Because it says most people like to use the, this phrase at funerals because Job is the one that said it. Job said in verse chapter 1, verse Job chapter 1, verse 21, Job said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord does not give, and then the Lord takes away. If you really want to continue that train of thought, Job received twice as much everything that he had at the beginning when he lost it. He received twice as much as property. He received his children again. He had three new daughters. Uh, he had a second set of three daughters and he had another set of seven sons. And he went on to live for an additional 140 years. So the Lord returned back to Job what had initially been taken. Job was formed to be unto praise and glory and honor unto the Lord. Now, that, that is a suffering that we spoke about. I just did a quick recap. Then I say there is a suffering we go through due to disobedience. The first time we see man, the first time we see how we, we see how mankind ended up on suffering street was through disobedience. Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God. They were cut off from God, put out of the Garden of Eden, and they had to tell for everything, pain, sweat, tears, and toil. So that's there's the suffering due to disobedience. And in Psalms in Psalm 119, we see the psalmist make a phrase that is absolutely true. He comes to his to himself after he goes through his suffering and he makes this statement. Psalm 119, verse 67. He says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word before i was afflicted i went astray but now have i kept thy word and he says it is good for me that i have been afflicted that i might learn your statutes okay so his perception has now changed so we say there's a suffering due to disobedience before i was afflicted i went astray the first time we see humankind on human on suffering street was after the disobedience, disobeying what God had told them not to eat of the tree of good, of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Then there was another suffering that I brought to attention, which was, I call this a character suffering, a loyalty. It's kind of like a test. It's kind of like job suffering. But this one has cause because God wants in this suffering, this one is very interesting. Because in this suffering here, 
God wants to use someone, but in essence, God wants to establish loyalty. God wants to test. You see, Job was already a successful man. Job was already accomplished. God had already elevated Job. But when you look at the suffering, let's say, of Abraham, and we look at the suffering of Abraham, Daniel, uh, Paul, someone else that I, that I had in mind, Joseph. So the suffering of Abraham is different from the suffering of, of, of Joseph in this sense. Abraham's suffering was a character test. Joseph's suffering was a suffering that comes that you that you go through in essence on your journey to fulfill God's will. Now, Abraham could have had two parts of it because Abraham's suffering of waiting for a child for 25 years there was a character test there first of all because if you really read the scriptures and you can see Abraham, because at a certain point, Abraham tried to, he was talked out of waiting for a child through Sarah. And it's, it's, it's very interesting with his suffering. So I'm going to break them down because they're, they're not necessarily the same because one is like, um, I don't know how to call the other one, the suffering of Joseph, because I don't want to, you know, but they, but they're two different sufferings and, and you're going to see the difference in them. Okay. So I'm going to point to one side, Abraham, on the other side, I'm going to point to Joseph and the Daniel there and some of David's sufferings there. And you'll see some of them were character tests. Others were was sufferings that a man, man or woman, by the way, on this show when I say man, because scripture uses the word man, but man means male and female. So the others were tests that when God has decided to use someone, that they're just going to go through that suffering because God has chosen to use them on the journey to fulfill what God has called this person to do, they are going to suffer. So let us look at that. We'll start with Abram, and we'll also be running a parallel comparison with Joseph. Okay? Okay. Let's look at this. The suffering of Abraham and the suffering of Joseph. So two people were chosen to be used by God. Okay? Abram, Abraham, who was first called Abram, he had to wait for a child for 25 years. Now, it's very interesting because if you actually read through, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There was, there was, there was a trust, you know, 
trust suffering there that Abram went through. And there's also character suffering there because Abram received the call to leave his, to leave the Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, he was younger than 75 years old. So by the time we're caught up with his story in Genesis chapter 12, some things have already happened before that. In Genesis chapter 12, when you read it, it almost seems that it says now, if you read the tense, you'll see that something had happened. Okay. In Genesis chapter 11, we see that um, Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 says, And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur, from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay. But if you now read in Genesis chapter twelve, it says, "Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land I will show thee." And I will make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless you, and make, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay? Let's keep reading. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Okay, he's, he's, he's a context for Abraham's suffering. This is what I believe. Abraham did not receive the call to leave from, Ur, from, from Haran to go to the land of Canaan. No, Abraham received the call to, to, to leave his father's house to leave his country, his kindred, and his father's house back when they still lived in Ur of the Chaldees. However, that call, first of all, to show you that this was a character suffering that Abraham, I believe the reason it took about 25 years, God had been dealing with Abraham on trust and loyalty because God himself had said, now the Lord had now the Lord has said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. Okay? 
This was back when Abram lived with his father in Ur of the Chaldees. The call was for Abram to leave everything there. However, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 says, And Terah took Abram his son and, the, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees. You see, Abram didn't live alone. Abram came with his father. And yet the Lord is saying, get out of thy country, leave thy kindred, and leave thy father's house. But looks like Abraham, Abraham's father was like, you are not going alone. I don't know who told, I don't know if Abraham was the one who told his dad to come with him or Abram <laughs> uh, or his dad told Abram, I will come with you. There was a dependency that either Abram had on his father or his father had on Abram that God wanted to break that. Okay? So we see the call came for, for, the, for Abram to live by himself, but he did not live alone. He came with his father or his father came with him. I don't know who came with who, but to show you that this was a, a trust or loyalty or character suffering, when they came, they stopped in Haran and stayed there for a certain number of years. Right? It was only until Abram's father died in Haran that now when you come down to Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, that you see that Abram, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And says, Abraham was now 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. I believe the 25 years that we hear of Abraham waiting to receive Isaac. Abraham was making up. Uh, Abraham had delayed the call of God by, I believe, 25 years. Abraham probably received this call when he was like maybe around 50, right, to leave. But, you know, he left. Maybe he took his time to leave. And so now he left with his dad. He left with some other kindred of the Lord that said, no, 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 leave everybody. Just come you. Basically, on the call would have been just come you and your wife. So now they're bringing Lot along, his nephew, who was not supposed to come with him. So now they stop in Haran. I think that they stayed in Haran for some time because it was not until his father died, that says in verse 4, Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, that Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram, Abram before he was Abraham, his name was changed to Abraham, says was 75 years old, when he departed out of Haran. You see that? Now, then they started to journey into the land of Canaan. So, I don't think that the Lord was intentionally holding back, but no, Abraham had, I believe Abraham had caused this delay. 
Abraham delayed himself having his own child by 25 years. I believe if Abraham had been called right away, for the moment was called, if he perhaps um, had, you know, moved right away, told his dad, you know what, the Lord has called me alone. You can't come and things of that nature. I believe Isaac would have come sooner because I don't really see a point in which in why the Lord was holding out for, um, but there was a trust or loyalty or character suffering that was being built in Abraham. And that's why from that point onwards, Abraham just started to trust the Lord. Now, he even caved in and he had a child with his maid servant, Hagar, and had Ishmael. He was talked into it by Sarai. Now, the fact that Abraham's father was able to come with him and Sarai talked Abraham into having a child, for me, tells me Abraham always received the instruction, but Abraham was easily talked into situations. And so there was a dealing or suffering that the wait for him, this period of 25 years, the Lord was dealing with him on that, I, I believe. that, And you can look at the scriptures and, and kind of piece it together. So this is different from the suffering of Joseph. Because, okay, so Joseph is another one that God decides to use to liberate the nation of Israel. And he sent Joseph ahead. You know, there was going to be a famine. And so he was, God was trying to take care of the nation of Israel. So God decided to use Joseph. However, Joseph is betrayed by his brothers and they wanted to kill him. And they betrayed him and sold him as a slave. So what really caused jo Joseph suffering? Joseph suffering happened to him as he was on the road to fulfill God's will. You see, it's similar to Abraham's, but not really. There's different context to it. So there's a suffering that you can go through as you're fulfilling God's will. It, it, it's somehow Satan is now trying to stop you from fulfilling that will of God. And so there's a suffering now you have to go through. David went through this. You know, David killed Goliath, all was well, but the king, Saul, at that time, actually, Saul was no longer the king because the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Saul, who just, he was still a king by title, but not by the spirit of the Lord. He started to, he wanted to kill David. So David goes on a run. David spends about 10 years of his life running away. Man, he's dead. Saul is trying to kill him. And he just helped deliver Israel from a giant that they had they could not defeat, Goliath. We all know the story of David versus Goliath. So David on being on, on David on going from his journey from shepherd to king. He ran into these afflictions, these sufferings on the way to fulfill God's will. So we can see a suffering where God can call someone and that person. They suffering waiting for them along the path of destiny. I guess we will call that destiny suffering.
So that 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 that, that appears that, that that gives us more. There's what I, there's what I call destiny suffering. The suffering you go through as you're trying to fulfill destiny. Okay. So that suffering is different. Okay. And I guess you could also say that's the suffering that um, the parents of John the Baptist, Zacharias and Elizabeth Okoda, because their son was destined to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had to be born at a certain time to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So destiny suffering. So David goes through that. Um, Joseph went through that because Joseph is now sold as a slave. Why? He did not do anything to be sold as a slave. But the problem is that to go from where they were staying to, to Egypt, that was in Genesis chapter 37. Let me quickly go through this. You, you'll see it. So they were staying in... Where were they staying? They were staying in. Uh, I'm trying to find it here. They were in Canaan. It says Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Okay. So to go from Canaan to Egypt where God was going to deliver the nation of Israel which was the family of Jacob at this point, or the family of Israel in Egypt, Joseph, unfortunately, had to go through the sufferings on the road to destiny. So those sufferings are different. David went through them. Saul was trying to kill him. His own family, his son, stand against him. They're trying to take the throne from him. So those sufferings are different. And then... Finally, we have arrived to what I call Christ's sufferings. So the three kinds of sufferings Jesus went through, and which are resistance, persecution, and submission. And for the rest of your Christian walk, these are the ones that you will have to partake of these ones you will carry with you to heaven so ah oh, this was really an episode of i did a whole bunch of recapping because there was a lot of time between um the last episode and this one so sometimes even i to get back into that mindset of a series if i take some time a couple of days and there's a whole, there was a number of days actually between the last episode and when uh, I'm, I'm doing this one. So just to get back in sync in this same thought process of this series, sometimes I also have to do a recap to kind of recalibrate my thoughts. But this has been really fun. There's been a lot of um, things that have come back to, to memory. Um, I mean, to be honest, guys, if you really understand the context of these sufferings, it strengthens us. It strengthens us. It 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 stops being as Peter called it a strange thing, because he said, "Beloved, 
Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. So in verse 16, which is beautifully um, in verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So in the next episode, we are going to talk about the last category of sufferings, which is going to be Christ's sufferings. We're going to talk about resistance, persecution, uh, and submission. So this was fun for me as well. Very informative. Uh, there's still a lot that I'm learning, but I thank the Lord for giving us utterance and opening up our eyes to see these things. So as always, this was Unplugged. We hope this episode blessed your heart. Your host for today was Calvin Cabanda. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. Sela.